0: chapter 5 part number 1 of autobiography this is a librivox recording all librivox recordings are in the public domain for more information or to volunteer please visit librivox.org recording by vicky rands autobiography by john stuart mill crisis in my mental history one stage onward for some years after this time i wrote very little and nothing regularly for publication and great were the advantages which i derived from the intermission it was of no common importance to me at this period to be able to digest and mature my thoughts for my own mind only without any immediate call for giving them out in print had i gone on writing it would have much disturbed the important transformation in my opinions and character which took place during those years the origin of this transformation or at least the process by which i was prepared for it can only be explained by turning some distance back from the winter of eighteen twenty one when i first read bentham and especially from the commencement of the westminster review i had what might truly be called an object in life to be a reformer of the world My conception of my own happiness was entirely identified with this object. The personal sympathies I wished for were those of fellow labourers in this enterprise. I endeavoured to pick up as many flowers as I could, by the way, but as a serious and permanent personal satisfaction to rest upon, my whole reliance was placed on this, and I was accustomed to felicitate myself on the certainty of a happy life which I enjoyed through placing my happiness in something durable and distant, in which some progress might be always making, while it could never be exhausted by complete attainment. This did very well for several years, during which the general improvement going on in the world, and the idea of myself as engaged with others in struggling to promote it, seemed enough to fill up an interesting and animated existence. But the time came when I awakened from this as from a dream. It was in the autumn of 1826. I was in a dull state of nerves, such as everybody is occasionally liable to unsusceptible to enjoyment or pleasurable excitement one of those moods when what is pleasure at other times becomes insipid or indifferent the state i should think in which converts to methodism usually are when smitten by their first conviction of sin in this frame of mind it occurred to me to put the question directly to myself suppose that all your objects in life were realized that all the changes in institutions and opinions which you are looking forward to could be completely effected at this very instant would this be a great joy and happiness to you and an irrepressible self-consciousness distinctly answered no at this my heart sank within me the whole foundation on which my life was constructed fell down all my happiness was to have been found in the continual pursuit of this end the end had ceased to charm, and how could there ever again be any interest in the means? I seemed to have nothing left to live for. At first I hoped that the cloud would pass away of itself, but it did not. A night's sleep, the sovereign remedy for the smaller vexations of life, had no effect on it. I awoke to a renewed consciousness of the woeful fact i carried it with me into all companies into all occupations hardly anything had power to cause me even a few minutes oblivion of it for some months the cloud seemed to grow thicker and thicker the lines and coleridge's dejection i was not then acquainted with them exactly describe my case a grief without a pang void dark and drear a drowsy stifled unimpassioned grief which finds no natural outlet or relief in a word, or sigh, or tear. In vain I sought relief from my favorite books, those memorials of past nobleness and greatness from which I had always hitherto drawn strength and animation. I read them now without feeling, or with the accustomed feeling, minus all its charm, and I became persuaded that my love of mankind, and of excellence for its own sake had worn itself out. I sought no comfort by speaking to others of what I felt. If I had loved any one sufficiently to make confiding my griefs a necessity, I should not have been in the condition I was. I felt, too, that mine was not an interesting or in any way respectable distress. There was nothing in it to attract sympathy advice if i had known where to seek it would have been most precious the words of macbeth to the physician often occurred to my thoughts but there was no one on whom i could build the faintest hope of such assistance my father to whom it would have been natural to me to have recourse in any practical difficulties was the last person to whom, in such a case as this, I looked for help. Everything convinced me that he had no knowledge of any such mental state as I was suffering from. He was not the physician who could heal it. My education, which was wholly his work, had been conducted without any regard to the possibility of its ending in this result and I saw no use in giving him the pain of thinking that his plans had failed when the failure was probably irremedial and, at all events, beyond the power of his remedies. Of other friends, I had at the time none to whom I had any hope of making my condition intelligible. It was, however, abundantly intelligible to myself, and the more I dwelt upon it, The more hopeless it appeared my course of study had led me to believe that all mental moral feelings and qualities whether of a good or of a bad kind were the results of association that we love one thing and hate another take pleasure in one sort of action or contemplation and pain in another sort through the clinging of pleasurable or painful ideas to those things from the effect of education or of experience, as a corollary from this, I had always heard it maintained by my father, and was myself convinced that the object of education should be to form the strongest possible associations of the salutary class, associations of pleasure with all things beneficial to the great whole, and of pain without all things hurtful to it. This doctrine appeared inexpungible, but it now seemed to me, on retrospect, that my teachers had occupied themselves, but superficially, with the same means of forming and keeping up these salutary associations. They seemed to have trusted altogether to the old familiar instruments, praise and blame, reward and punishment. Now... I did not doubt that by these means, begun early and applied unremittingly, intense associations of pain and pleasure, especially of pain, might be created, and might produce desires and aversions capable of lasting undiminished to the end of life. But there must always be something artificial and casual in associations thus produced the pains and pleasures thus forcibly associated with things are not connected with them by any natural tie and it is therefore i thought essential to the durability of these associations that they should have become so intense and inveterate as to be practically indissoluble before the habitual exercise of the power of analysis had commenced for i now saw or thought i saw what i had always before received with incredulity that the habit of analysis has a tendency to wear away the feelings as indeed it has when no other mental habit is cultivated and the analyzing spirit remains without its natural complements and correctives the very excellence of analysis i argued is that it tends to weaken and undermine whatever is the result of prejudice that it enables us mentally to separate ideas which have only casually clung together and no associations whatever could ultimately resist this dissolving force were it not that we owe to analysis our clearest knowledge of the permanent sequences in nature the real connections between things not dependent on our will and feelings natural laws by virtue of which in many cases one thing is inseparable from another in fact which laws in proportion as they are clearly perceived and imaginatively realized cause our ideas of things which are always joined together in nature to cohere more and more closely in our thoughts analytic habits may thus even strengthen the associations between causes and effects means and ends but tend altogether to weaken those which are, to speak familiarly, a mere matter of feeling. They are, therefore, I thought, favourable to prudence and clear-sightedness, but a perpetual worm at the root both of the passions and of the virtues, and, above all, fearfully undermine all desires and all pleasures, which are the effects of association, that is, according to the theory I held, all except the purely physical and organic of the entire insufficiency of which to make life desirable. No one had a stronger conviction than I had. These were the laws of human nature by which, as it seemed to me, I had been brought to my present state. All those to whom I looked up, were of opinion that the pleasure of sympathy with human beings, and the feelings which made the good of others, and especially of mankind, on a large scale the object of existence, were the greatest and surest sources of happiness. Of the truth of this I was convinced, but to know that a feeling would make me happy, if I had it, did not give me the feeling. My education, I thought, had failed to create these things in sufficient strength to resist the dissolving influence of analysis while the whole course of my intellectual cultivation had made precocious and premature analysis the inveterate habit of my mind i was thus as i said to myself left stranded at the commencement of my voyage with a well-equipped ship and a rudder but no sail without any real desire for the ends which I had been so carefully fitted out to work for, no delight in virtue or the general good, but also just a little in anything else. The fountains of vanity and ambition seemed to have dried up within me, as completely as those of benevolence. I had had, as I reflected, some gratification of vanity at too early an age. I had obtained some distinction, and felt myself of some importance, but the desire of distinction and of importance had grown into a passion, and little as it was which I had attained, yet having attained too early, like all pleasures enjoyed too soon, it had made me blasé and indifferent to the pursuit. Thus neither selfishness nor unselfish pleasures were pleasures to me. And there seemed no power in nature sufficient to begin the formation of my character anew, and create in a mind now irretrievably analytic fresh associations of pleasure with any of the objects of human desire. End of chapter five, part one. Recording by Vicky Rands.